Here we go. Hey, North Point family, welcome to our virtual worship service. We're so glad that you've tuned in and joined us. Uh, we live in unprecedented times uh, where there's just stuff changing all the time because of coronavirus. But we want to just focus this time, this hour, in worshiping our God who is true, who doesn't change. Uh, he is still God. He is still Lord. He is still sovereign. And we can still worship him together. And so this might be a little awkward for you sitting in your living room. Uh, I, I just invite you to get comfortable. Uh, stand up, sit. Uh, but yeah, we're just going to embrace some of this awkwardness. Uh, and we're just going to choose to worship our God together. And so uh, let's do that together. Exalted, 
take our offering at this time, you can do so uh, by following the prompt on the screen below, um, and you can give online. And so let me pray for us uh, for our offering. Uh, Lord, we pray and thank you so much for uh, just being able to gather together as your church body, uh, even virtually. Thank you for this technology that allows us to do so. Uh, but most of all, thank you that you are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of our worship. God, in this time of uncertainty and fear, anxiety, worry, God, we just give you our cares to you and we just ask that you would build our trust in you. Lord, help us to have faith in you and to remember that you are God and that you are Lord and that you are sovereign, that you are in control of every situation every second, every moment. And so, Lord, we just uh, praise you for who you are this morning. And, Lord, we give you this offering, uh, trusting that you would do your will. We pray this in Christ's name.
Be my treasure, Lord, be my reward. Be my holy Jesus, what I'm fighting for. I'd give all my history just to stand at your door. To knock and hear enter your orphan no more. To knock and hear enter your Good morning, North Point. Look at this, we're digital. It is so awesome to be in your living room this morning. I'm wearing pajama pants and probably so are you. In this time of uncertainty, we are so glad that we have the digital resources to be able to come together as a church family still and worship God through singing, through listening to Andy's sermon, and still just growing together as a church family. With that in mind, you're probably on a cell phone or on an iPad or some tablet. If that's the case, I have three things that I wanna ask you to do to help limit distractions. One, if you have any unnecessary tabs open or you're flipping back and forth going to social media, close them down. Don't worry about it. Don't let there be any distractions to keep you from worshiping this morning. Second, do you have Netflix on? Is it, are you watching The Office? I love The Office, but turn it off. Just give us this hour this morning where we can really come together. Third, do you have kids? Are they running around? Are they going crazy? You've probably been locked up for a few days. If that is the case, we have some awesome resources in the links below, um, such as printouts for your kids, study guides that middle school through elementary can fill out during the sermon, and also after we have post-sermon questions that you can get together with other people in the church and just learn and grow through Andy's words. So with this COVID-19 going around, there's a lot of uncertainty and that's understandable. Um, are you going to work? What am I gonna do with my kids? Will there be rush hour traffic? Do I have toilet paper? Will I eat? With all this uncertainty, there's one place that you can go to stay up to date with all of the church happenings and that's the North Point Community website. The church does a great job of keeping that updated. For Sunday service, by Friday 5 p.m., you'll know if that's canceled. And as far as Bible studies, women's groups, any sort of meals or anything like that, head to the website. All of it will be up to date to keep you in the loop. Now, with that being said, Annie's gonna come up now and we're gonna continue in Romans 2. Hey, thanks for joining us this morning online. As I said, we're going to continue our series in Romans, so I invite you to turn to Romans chapter 2. You know, as a little boy, I was out with my family on the swing set. I don't remember this, but my parents tell me the story. Uh, things were going fine until I got stung by a bee. Then all of a sudden, everything changed in a second, 
and I began to swell up through my leg and into my torso. And my parents thought, what is going on? So they rushed me to the hospital. Uh, the lady at the emergency room asked my dad to fill out some papers, and he quite colorfully told her that I needed attention. A nurse came up, and she immediately diagnosed that I needed adrenaline. I was anaphylactic shock. Well, I got that shot, and I was fine. And here I am today, 57 years later. You know, this morning, Paul is going to make a spiritual diagnosis. That nurse made a physical diagnosis. He's going to make a spiritual diagnosis, and he's going to suggest that as desperately as I needed that adrenaline, we desperately need Jesus. Why is my question. Why do we desperately need Jesus? So that's why I'm going to invite you to turn to Romans chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 1, and we'll go through verse 16, answering that very question, why do we desperately need Jesus? A little backdrop. Uh, Paul started this letter by introducing the gospel and saying he was not ashamed that the gospel was the connector between sinful humanity and a holy God. And then in verses 18 to 32, he talked about the Gentiles. And that's significant because they didn't have any special revelation from God. But Paul said, you know what? Uh, they're responsible because God has revealed himself in the creation. And now he's going to turn his focus to the Jews. The Jews have had special revelation. But sadly, instead of bringing them to God, it's, it's developed a complacency. And Paul's been ministering, by the time he writes this letter, uh, 22 years. And so he's familiar with the arguments. So he starts a hypothetical conversation in verse 1, and here's how it goes. Therefore, you have no excuse, every one of you who passes judgment. For in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. Paul said, you know, you, you think you got a status because you're something and, and you look at the world and, and those Gentiles and they're doing this, that, and the other. And, and you know what Paul's saying? You do the same thing. He goes on. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. But do you suppose this, O oh man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? That's a rhetorical question. You, you look out at those people who do all this stuff and, and, and you have this special revelation. You go, oh, oh look at that. But, but you do the same thing. You think you're going to escape the judgment of God? Paul said, you're wrong. You religious people also are under the judgment of God for your actions. In verse 4, we get the Jewish people's mistake. Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance. Hey, you people were God's chosen as a nation. And, and, and that favor, unmerited favor, that grace God gave you, that should have led you to, to turn around and start walking towards God. But instead, it, it's led you to take license to do whatever you want because, hey, you're God's chosen people. If you don't believe me, read the history of the Old Testament. The rebellion against God is all over those pages. Paul said, God's favor hasn't done what God wanted it to do in your life. So then, that gives us verse 5. Be, but because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation 
of the righteous judgment of God. Hey, you think you're going to walk on this thing? Wrong. You are facing the judgment of God, even with your chosen status. We say, well, you know, Andy, like, that, that's all well and good. And that's interesting history. But what does this have to say to me? Well, I appreciate you asking. You know, some of those of us who attend the church, and we're regular church attenders, and, and we serve and we give, and those are all good things. But like the Jewish people, we think that gives us some status. So, so we look at the world and we go, wow. I mean, they are so immoral. They are so decadent. I can't believe what's going on. And yet we're looking at pornography ourselves. God says you're under judgment. Or we think about the, the greedy CEOs and, and the golden parachute and the stock buybacks and, the, and, and those people are so greedy. And yet we give a penance of our income to God's work or to help other people. Or, or we look at you know, the pagan world and man, they, they hardly ever go to church. But if we're honest, we're in church once a month ourselves. So Paul's message to the Jews has implication for us. If you've got special status, or you think you have, careful. Uh, what he'll argue in verses 6 to 11 is uh, Jews and Gentiles, religious and non-religious, they're, they're on all, all on equal footing before God. Here's what we, it, Paul writes in verse 6. Talking about God, who will render to each person according to his deeds. To those who by perseverance in doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. But to those who are selfishly ambitious, living for self, and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath and indignation. There will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil. Of the Jew, the religious, first, and also of the Greek, the non-religious. But glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good, to the Jew first, religious, and also to the Greek, the non-religious. What's his point? Verse 11. For there is no partiality with God. See, these verses speak to the, the universal need for the gospel. And you say to me, but, but Andy, I, you know, I'm Baptist, or I'm Catholic, or I, I'm Episcopalian, or I'm Presbyterian, or whatever I am. Great. Oh, Andy, man, you don't understand. I'm reading my Bible every day, and I got an award when I was a kid. Or I give, I, I, do, you, do you know how long I've taught Sunday school? Great. And not bad things. But where are you with Jesus? You know, when Paul opened uh, this letter, he said, I'm not ashamed of the power of the gospel. For it's a message of salvation to the Jew first and also the Greek. This is why Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the only thing that will reconnect us with God. And, and it points what the issue really is found in verse 8. Without the gospel, we are people who are, and I'm quoting here, selfishly ambitious. We're thinking about us when God created us to be in a relationship with him. And as we're in a relationship with him, we're thinking about him and others. See, God 
created us for that relationship, but we went our own way. We did our own thing. Jesus came and lived the life we were supposed to live. Perfect submission to the Father right up to the point he died on the cross. Unjustly condemned. Taking on our sin. The great news is he rose again three days later. And when we trust in him, we have the forgiveness of sin. We have what we can't find in any kind of position or religion or service. It is in the gospel, in the forgiveness of Jesus, that we're reconnected with God. See, the whole point of chapters 1 through 3 is to make the case that we're all desperate for God. And, and Paul sums up this article in Romans 3, verses 10 through 12, where he says, uh, there is none righteous, not even one. There's no, none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they become useless. There is no one who does good. There's not even one. What's his point? Without the gospel, without the gospel, we're apart from God. And there is no privileged status. Now, now years ago, uh, American Express uh, had a commercial. And, and in this particular commercial, a man comes to the airport and, and, and it's jammed and it's delayed and he wants to get home and, and people are waiting in line and, and he plunks down his American Express card. And he ends up with a seat in first class. And the next picture cuts to him sliding in next to his wife at his elementary age daughter's school play. What did I miss? Oh, it just started. You know what the message of that is? Because you have an American Express card, membership has its privileges. And while all those poor saps are still in the airport, because you have this card, you get in. And see, we're looking for that with God. My religion, my service, this, and, and it, it's not there. It's not in us. There is a place, rather a person, in which we can reconnect with God. And it's the man, fully God and fully human, Jesus Christ. Died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sin. That gets us in with God, if you will. Not based on anything we've done, but based on our being in his family. 1997, my wife and I went down to San Jose, Costa Rica for language school. And we lived with the Costa Rican family, so we ate a ton of rice and beans and stuff. And it's great food. Fresh fruit, it was awesome. But July 4th, there's a party at the U.S. Embassy. No rice, no beans, hot dogs, and hamburgers. And you could smell it blocks away. And trust me, after six months, it's like, man, I want in. You know what got you in? You know what got me in? You know what got my wife in? U.S. passport. They didn't ask our, our job or our income or who we knew or, or what kind of family we were. Or where we're, where. You have a passport? You're in. What do we have to pay? Nothing. How much can we have? Well, as much as you can eat. It's a picture with Jesus. Man, on our own, we don't get in. But because he confers on, his, on us his righteous status, we gain entrance to the family of God.
See, we started by asking this question. Why? Why do we desperately need Jesus? Here's the deal. Without Jesus, we stand condemned. We stand condemned without Jesus. We're on the outside. We're on the outside of the U.S. Embassy in San Jose, if you will, unable to get in. Well, Andy, that, that sounds kind of exclusive. It is. But Jesus is also inclusive. He says, whosoever should believe. So it's open. There's not a narrow set. There's, no, no if, if you would believe, you would gain position in God's family that you can't get, that I can't get on our own. Now, in verses 12 through 16, God promises, or Paul promises, God will be just with all. Here's what he says. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. Talking about the Gentiles. Didn't have special race revelation. And all who have sinned under the law, it's the Jews, will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are just before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these, not having the law, are a law to themselves. And that they show the work of the law written in their hearts and their conscience bearing witness and their thoughts alternately accusing or defending them. On the day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. We're all going to be judged. And, and our, our deeds will be laid out before us and, and we'll be found guilty. I, I don't care if you're religious or not. Going to church, giving money, certain, not, not bad things. Especially as they're indicative of a relationship with God. But if you're counting on those things, uh, you and I, Every person needs a changed heart. Well, Andy, isn't that, uh, isn't that a little harsh, talking about the justice of God? Well, maybe, but, but God is just. He will judge us for our actions. But he's also gracious in that he offers forgiveness and reconciliation and restoration in Jesus Christ. And God can be both just and great, gracious at the same time. Hey, I got a son who works at uh, a local grocery store. And the deal is he gets paid $9.50 an hour. For every hour, $9.50. And, and they can ask him to, to check out. They can ask him to buy groceries. They can ask him to get carts. They can ask him to do cleanup. They can ask him to do bathrooms. And that's just part of the job. That's what you do. But, you know, occasionally... When he goes kind of above and beyond in the manager's opinion, uh, the manager gives him a free dinner coupon. Doesn't have to, and because he gave this guy a dinner coupon doesn't mean he has to give that worker a dinner coupon. It's his choice. Now, now Hy-Vee, the grocery store, is just with everybody. They will pay a certain wage, but at times they are gracious, and they choose to be gracious when they want to be. So it is with God. He is just. He will be consistently just with everybody. But he is also gracious that whoever should believe, he offers his reconciliation through Christ. So, all of us, we've attended church all our life or never, we need Jesus. And there's nothing in and of ourselves that gives us any kind of special privilege. There's no membership 
that has its privileges. And yet, we want to think maybe we can do something outside of Christ to make us right. Look, when I was in high school, every night I, I prayed through a, a series of prescribed prayers. Thinking if, if I just got through all the way through this and I did this the rest of my life, that would get me into heaven. Uh, do you know there were times I was praying that prayer hungover, trying to stay awake because I drank uh, too much beer that night? I didn't need a set of prayers. I needed to change a heart. Because I didn't even really like beer that much, but I was doing that to be accepted. And if I could tell my friends on Monday, I, I drank a six, and maybe I drank a six, but I only drank three, but I, I, I'd tell them because I wanted to be accepted. And what I needed was not necessarily a, a set of prescribed prayers. It was a change of heart that told me, Andy, you don't have to do this stuff to be accepted. You're accepted in Christ. That's why Paul's going after our religious practices. He doesn't want them to be a substitute for what we really need, and what we really need is Jesus. Look, we, we're living in unprecedented times right now. I appreciate our government officials, our medical people who are serving the sick. They, they are they're putting their lives at risk. God bless them. And I hope you join me in praying that their efforts are successful and that we can save lives, that we can, if you will, flatten the curve and and. Not so many people have to die. But please know this. If we're successful as a culture and we save lives, we're only delaying the inevitable. Every one of us will die. I, I hope we can put it off for a lot of people, but it's coming. If it's not the coronavirus, it's something else. And then we're going to have to deal with the question, where are we with God? And if we're counting on our membership, if we're counting on our special status, if we're counting on our privilege, we're misled. And that's what Paul's trying to say us, tell us. We desperately need Jesus to be connected with God. Second thought on the times we're going through. We're seeing some, some beauty in humanity, aren't we? People sacrificing, people reaching out. But if we're honest... We're also seeing some ugliness. We're seeing some hoarding. My son got home last night from work and he told me about flour, sugar, toilet paper, all this stuff, gone. People, at least a part of our population, all they can think about is me. Andy, why is that? It goes back to verse 8. Those who are selfishly ambitious, thinking about self. This shows us Every one of us needs a change of heart that we move off of self onto others. We desperately need Jesus, individually and corporately. Many of you are seeking to be the hands and feet of Christ, that we could be Christ in the community. God bless you. I pray we continue to do that and step out and trust him that you can exemplify Christ to your neighbors and your coworkers. We're people who desperately need Jesus. In July of 2018, our, our world was mesmerized by 12 boys and a coach in Thailand who got stuck in some caves. 
And there was a race against time because it was monsoon season and there wasn't a way out and, and, and the air quality was bad and, and it was looking bleak for these 13 people. And a bunch of divers risked their lives and they found this, these 12 boys in this coach and made a plan to get them out and they had to sedate each person. And they had two people that, that would guide them on, on a, a stretcher through because there were rocks and there were things. And one of them had to make sure that the mass stayed on because these kids could drown on the way out. They needed rescue. And they needed someone who would go with them all the way through to the mouth of the cave. The great news, all 13 came out alive. That's a picture of what Jesus does for us. He rescues us. And he walks us through this life into the presence of the Father. There's no substitute. There's no other way. Uh, we desperately need Jesus. Without him, we stand condemned. The good news is, it doesn't have to end that way. Let me pray. Our God in heaven, um, more than ever, we realize we need you. Uh, we're grateful for Jesus who bridged that gap, who gives us hope in dire circumstances. And Lord, we're in the midst of those right now. Lord, would you open our eyes to the, our desperate need for Jesus. Forgive us for assuming that we could pull this off on our own. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Sorry. Let's start over. Let's start over. Dude, I'm like all over the place. Hold on. Sorry. Take a deep breath. Okay, one more time.
hopeless without your goodness i would be desperate without your love slave to the darkness if it wasn't for the cross you have won me with your kindness chase me down when i was lost where would i be if it wasn't for you, Jesus. I was a prisoner. Now I'm not. With your blood you bought my freedom. Hallelujah for the
Thank you, Jesus. I was a prisoner. Now I'm not. With your blood, you bought my freedom. Hallelujah. For the cross. Amen. Go in peace.